Hello, everybody. This is the fifth episode of Game of Life with Dan and Herman. And we have a very special guest with us. Um, he hails from the exotic land of Tasmania, Bernie's very own. He's a podcaster, he's a writer, he's a show host, and he's a very talented comedian, Josh Earl. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much for being here. Josh, Great. It means a um, lot. Thank you so much for being here and supporting the new kids on the block. That's all right. It's good. I've, see, this is, I ask people to be on my podcast all the time. So when yeah. anyone asks me to be on their podcast, I generally say yes. If it's Especially you're doing it on my home ground. This is Stupid Old Studios. I can, I can come here. It's easy. It's, when I was trying to find a studio for us to record in, Stupid Old Studios is the name yep. that I'm most familiar with. So I'm like, yep, there. Yeah. Because it's going to make people say yes. <laughs> <laughs> But Dan, Dan did find the studio. So I'll, I'll give you a quick intro on how we started this podcast, right? And we, we, so we worked together, right, Josh? And uh, the other day I was uh, listening. I had my headphones on at work. I was listening to this podcast, Joe Rogan or yep. any other podcast. And Dan asked me, I said, what are you listening to? I said, I'm listening to Joe Rogan. And after that finished, I sentence, I was like, I wish I could have my own podcast. It's like, do you want to start a podcast? That's great. So it, <laughs> it is so funny because there's no gatekeepers in podcasting. That's what I, that's what I liked about it initially yeah. as well. It was like yeah. you could just, if, if you got microphones and recording equipment, you can do it. And that's I think that's the beauty of why there's so many good podcasts out there as well because people have their voice and they want to get it heard. Yeah, and you have your own as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Josh, Dan is much, much more aware and he knows so much about you. He's been following your career for such a long time. Do you want to, Dan, take, take, take this away from me. And uh, Well, I, I, I first became aware of you through the uh, Cake song yes. that you sung on the uh, gala. <laughs> In 2010. Yeah, so I, prob- I would have been about 20 years old Great. then. And I related, it, I related to it so much because my... Mum had that very yep. same uh, cake book and made me that exact same cake. Excellent. So I, I, I just I just loved you ever since after, after seeing that Great. clip. You. Um, or, you know, when I was so ignorant to what the comedy festival was yep. when I was that age, like I thought the Melbourne Comedy Festival was what I was seeing on the TV until I actually moved to Melbourne and realised, oh, it's much, much bigger as 200-plus shows. Yeah, I was exactly the same. In Tassie, I thought the comedy festival was just yeah. what was on TV, the gala, that was it. And, yeah, it was. It's and then when I moved here as well, it was the same thing. People are going, I'd, I'd been doing comedy. I didn't know that the mm. comedy festival was like you do a whole-hour show and anyone can submit, submit to put a show in. And so when I moved here, and the first year I was here, I just went and watched as many shows as I could. Yeah, and, I, yeah. I averaged now... On thirty plus shows. Did you do? Did you do the uh, what's the competition called? The, the the funny time. Yeah, I I did that last year. Yeah. So for people who aren't aware, the Melbourne Comedy Festival does a uh, competition every year for up and coming writers and just comedy fans in general, where yeah. you basically get given a uh, pass to see as many shows as you want and you can review as many shows as you yeah. as you want. So that was like a dream come true. So. I reviewed your show last year. I think I gave you a pretty glowing review. I think, yeah, I think I got good <laughs> I reviews re- last year. I think you retweet, retweeted it as well. Yeah, I retweet the good ones. Um, <laughs> makes so, sense. Yeah. So at that point I had seen like probably three of your solo shows and I, you know, followed you on Spicks and Specs when yep. you were posting Spicks and Specs and um, it was such a departure from what you usually 
known for with your musical and sort yeah. of sketch comedy. So I'm just wondering why why that departure? So the the two years before I did a show called Talks, which was the first time I did a whole show without the songs. Mm. And so I really enjoyed it. And it was that thing of like, I, I don't know, I still like musical comedy. I would go off and do gigs though and it was such a hassle to get there earlier than all the other comics mm. and do a sound check and then when you actually get up on stage, the tech who did it isn't there and it's such a... And I thought I just, I'm just going to make it easy on myself and just do traditional stand-up. Mm. And I really enjoyed that. It was like a nice challenge because I'd been doing comedy since I was like 22 years old and mm. I'm now 41. And so it was the thing of going after 15 years of just doing musical comedy... And I had a few people saying, hey, you don't really need the guitar. And they, at the time I was kind of annoyed saying, well, don't put musical comedy down. Musical mm. comedy has its place and there's a lot of really, really great musical comedians. And they were almost saying traditional stand-up is more superior. And then they were like, you don't really need the guitar if you, don't, if you do stand-up. Mm. And it wasn't that I didn't think I couldn't. I just thought this adds something different to it. There's mm. an element mm. of something else and, it's, and especially when you structure an hour-long show... It's nice to have some things to break it up, mm. break It'd up be the hour. Different a yeah, bit. Mm. and so, but then uh, talks. I did talks, which was in 2019, and that was a really great challenge, and also felt re- very rewarding to do that. And so, the next show, which was modern contemporary, I thought, oh, I'll do, oh, I won't do any music again. Mm. Yeah, Josh. <clears throat> Every time I talk to someone, I am very fascinated by what they do. Yep. And I want to get into like a young Josh's mind. Okay. And uh, how young? Uh, when was the first time you picked up the guitar? Uh, I, I was late to guitar. I was a real music snob. Mm-hmm. And my girlfriend at uni, she was also a music snob. Mm. And for, for Christmas one year, she bought me a guitar, just a, yeah. an acoustic wow. guitar. And it was, almost, it was almost like a challenge going, all right, Mr. Expert, you think you know everything about music. And so I got that and a chord book. And so it was like had all the different chords yes. in it. And so I remember <clears> that summer because I was at uni and I just, you know, spend indoors and getting calluses on my fingers and yes. figuring out how to play a few chords. And the first songs I wrote that I wanted to show people, I thought, oh, I don't want to be earnest because that's, if they don't like it, that's really bad. But if yeah. I, I write a funny song and they don't like it, who cares? It's, it's comedy. I don't, I don't mind. And so I do, I, I wrote a funny song. Mm-hmm. The first one was, was about uh, falling in love with a girl who worked at the video shop wow. and me going in and renting all these videos, videos just so I could talk to her. Talk to so you. that was the first comedy song I wrote, yeah. Wow. So did you, did you learn guitar off of that book yeah, just I, by yourself I no lessons any, yeah. anything people who are real guitarists I'll watch me and I'll go oh his his wrist is in the wrong spot he's yes. fumbling around with chords but people who don't play guitar they think I'm good at guitar yeah. so it's fine and for what I do I don't need to be that great I, I, I know the chords I can play I can think and pick all yes. my kind of stuff and that's that's all I really needed and that's what I do too I'll be sitting on uh, you know Google and just looking at the tabs yeah. and that's all you need yeah. if you know how to play the chords it's very easy to yeah. play Pretty much any song. My wife is a music teacher and she wow, yeah. went to uni and studied music. And music. so she reads music and she's like, she, well, when I say that, you just need to play some songs that you like to, that's yeah. how you learn because that's how you're interested. She goes, no, no, you need the theory. You need to know why this is this and this is this. And I'm like, okay, I, I don't. And just so just so I know, how old were you when, when you picked up? 
Uh, so I was eight, eight, eighteen, 18 19, 19, yeah. 19, yeah. Yeah, pretty much same. I think I picked up guitar just to impress someone and just yep. get some attention on, yeah. the, on guitar. And it's like, this is actually very nice. And yeah. you, got, you got into, you get into the hook of that. And, and once you get your basics clear on how yep. you can play those songs, you're like, I know what I'm doing. Do you play video games? I do. See, I don't play video games. And yeah. I think in, in that time, it was like I could either go down and pick up a guitar from board or go and play video games. And I thought, uh, I'll pick up a guitar, which guitars. I think probably better for my, not just my career. And it, it was it was sort of given to you as a gift, yeah, right? Yeah. And so it was that thing of like, almost the challenge, all right, you think you know everything. Or, yeah. So I better, I better actually learn. And when did the transition of those comedy and guitar happened uh so i was doing a performing arts degree in theater down in launceston that's where i did uni and so i was really lucky that when we finished that degree i i kind of already had in my head i'll just do teaching but it wasn't because i wanted to be a teacher because i was like that's another two years at uni i'm buying myself Mm -hmm. extra time to figure out what i actually want to do and Mm -hmm. there were some people who had graduated two years before me had set up this it was like a it sounds weird, but it was like an impro soap opera. Mm. And it was uh, at the Royal Oak Hotel and every week it was packed and it yeah. was the same characters every week. And the first half was devised by the group and the second half like, would go, all right, give us suggestions what could happen in the second half of the show. Mm. And the audience would write down on cards and we'd, and we'd go backstage and go, oh, that could work. And then we'd play out the rest of it. And then the next week we'd go and rehearse on the Saturday and do the first half and then... And we did that for like, I think, three months. Mm. And in that, my character, because we needed to change costumes or sell stuff like that, the people in the group were like, oh, Josh, can you just do a song? Just do a song. And so I'd play comedy songs, one, one a week, yeah. which seems like a lot of work now. But at the time, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, uh, yeah, I'll sit down. I'll, you were young I'll, and you were yeah. enjoying it. And I'll, write a, I'll write a different comedy song. And then someone saw me there who was bringing down Rod Quantock, the comedian. Mm. Uh, and they said, oh, do you want to host when he's down here? Because, um, yeah, we'll need someone to MC it. MC it, yes. And they said, oh, can you just do 20 minutes? And so my first gig really was doing 20 minutes. 20 minutes. Which in comedy terms, people were like going, oh, you just do five. <laughs> did you add the material of 20 minutes? Yeah, I did. I had all the songs. So I didn't, I didn't really freak out. But it was that thing. My first gig, I had like 20 minutes of songs. But Rob was super, like, supportive and was like, oh, you should, if you really want to do it, move to Melbourne and, like, give it a go. Yeah. And so I kind of moved to Melbourne with no plan, uh, mm. went and watched some gigs, didn't book a gig in. But then Hobart was doing a comedy festival and I'd sent a tape to them, like this is big old VHS tapes of some of my songs uh, that I had recorded from the um, soap opera thing. And uh, they said, yeah, come down. We've got a show, a night for you for all of January. And so yeah. that was really how I got into comedy from that, from the Hobart Comedy Festival, festival. meeting other comics and then there were comedians like Charlie Pickering came down uh, and, yeah, so just meeting those people and seeing them and learning like almost like a, a month-long boot camp. It was great. And so from then I moved back to Melbourne and went, right, I'm going to do some gigs. Yeah. Okay, that was your realisation is like, okay, this is, I can do this. Yeah, it's that kind of thing I didn't, I didn't have anyone to model it off. I did because in Tassie mm. there was no even notion of you could do comedy as a career. Yeah. It was, you saw it like mm. I saw all the gala and I thought, oh, that's it. But yeah. I don't know how to do the gala. That's, that's TV. Yeah. Mm. And so it wasn't until I saw the well, other comics who were kind of my age, like Charlie's only a few years older than me and so he was doing, he's already been tri- Triple J. And I was like, oh, this is actually, there's a, there's a way you can get 
into, into it. This. Yeah. Yes. And yes. so that that was that's how it kind of really started. Wow. So, as as someone who's very young and you came without a plan, was it was it nerve wracking for you at at some stage? Like, it, what, no, it was I was too young to even realize. Realize. I was, I was just living my absolute dream. Going. I always wanted to move in to Melbourne. I. Um, yeah, was going out every night and seeing stuff. And I, I, I was like I had a day job at a library at a school. But yeah. that was from 12 to 6 every day, which is perfect which hours. perfect, yeah. yeah. when you're 20. Because you have your time. Yeah. yeah. You can sleep in, you can go out. And yeah. I, this was in Collingwood as well, so I'd go out and see bands at the Tote and all that kind of stuff. And then just for two years that was it. And it was kind of like very comfortable but also like this can't last forever. You've mm. actually got to, you know, go, all right, how am I going to navigate my way through this? I'm, I feel like when you're, you're telling the story and you're, you're, of, you're an individual who's living in the moment very presently. And I think as kids, you have very massive dreams, you know, like when you're young, you have very big dreams. Did you have yeah. any of those or was this like a on living, ongoing uh, thing? It was that thing of like, as a kid, yeah, I liked, I liked stand up comedy and I, when mm. it, I'd watch TV shows. So, so like. Hey, hey, it's Sad Day, which I'm not even sure. Do you even know what that show was? Man, I'm very new to this. It's yeah. been six years, Josh, I've I'd, been here. I'd try to explain it, but it would be, you'd think I was playing a joke. Yeah, on you. But any, any kind of variety show where a comedian yeah. would come out, that would be my favourite part of it. Okay. I, I, love, the, I love the comedian. I, I don't know what it was about it. I just think the fact that they were talking directly to me. Yeah. I love that. But it was that thing of like, well, that's not a job. And so I liked doing theatre. I liked like, performing. Mm. And so my, my plan was I thought, oh, I'll be a drama teacher. Like, drama teacher. Not even like an actor. Like I talked to some kids who were like, might have dreams of moving to Hollywood and being an actor. I was like, mine is just like I'll be a drama teacher and I'll act in the school play occasionally. <laughs> like, that was it. Mm. I didn't really have this lofty ambition to uh, have a career in the arts. Did you ever perform in your room as a kid? Yeah. And have sets of things in your head and you enacted that? Yeah, I did that mainly with like... <laughs> kicking the last goal in a football game or, like, you know, uh, when you're pretending. Those, yeah. those glory moments. Yeah, yes. like shooting the last shot and all hitting Winning that Oscar moment. Yeah. <laughs> but it was more from that. And I remember also um, pretend, one of my earliest memories, pretending to be Rick Astley yeah. and singing along to Never Gonna Give You Up. And okay. Like, even though, like, yeah, all those kind of really weird kind of things where you look back and go, oh, yeah, even as a young age I see now that I wanted to be on a stage. I think it's something relatable to me, but I never got into it because you do dream of that. You want to have that, you know, that glory moment, that yeah. last minute, 90 minute scoring goal moment yeah. as, a, as a young kid. And growing up in Burning, Josh, how, how was the scene like in, over there? Like explain to me, because I come from a very yeah. different background, right? And it's, I, I love, I'm very fascinated by how you guys... Burning's a port town in, on the northwest coast of Tasmania, so it's yes. very beautiful, it's very idyllic. And if you go there now, it's very different to how it was when I grew up there. Mm. So you go there now as the last stop, the last major town before you get to Cradle Mountain, which is beautiful. Yeah, I've been there, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. So Bernie in the 80s was, there was a pulp mill, which was hugely like just a massive polluter. Like every Wednesday, I think it was, they would have black smoke just going in the air. You couldn't like, the, my mum would complain that the washing, you couldn't put the washing out on Wednesday because it would just oh, stink. stink. It would just yeah, stink, stink of that. And so, yeah. and there was also a paint pigment factory called Tioxide. And they're both these uh, factories on, on the water as well, on the beach. Like and industrial industrial, town. Yeah, and yeah. they just pump 
all the pollution into the into the ocean, ocean. and no one swam at the beach. It mm. was the thing you wouldn't you'd never swim at the beach. That's like there was surf lifesaving there, but they had their own little pocket, but further along never never there. And then that kind of all that industry shut down, which is really sad for the city because they didn't really know what it was. It was for a while it was like we are the pulp mill and we're the paint pigment factory and people come here to work mm. and, and that's it. And then when those shut down, I think the population like decreased like a third over like a couple of years because there just weren't jobs must have impacted the whole town absolutely yeah and so my parents didn't work in either of those industries so they weren't uh, okay. they weren't affected but at school there's lots of kids leaving the town mm. because they're like oh, we're, we're moving to Kalgoorlie there's a lot of people like moving to mining towns and stuff like that and okay. so yeah. yeah and then um so but it was growing up it was kind of I look back and go it's I had a lot of fun, but at the same time, it was the weirdest. Part. Everyone's funny, though. I imagine growing up in a poor town and you can't swim at a beach. It's it's very it's very weird to me. Yeah, well, right? you got a beach there now. It's beautiful. People go there. I've got friends who are there right now, actually, and they're like, "Why did you?" Because on stage, I kind of you know I make fun of it. The yeah. town, it's a small town, and they're like, "Why? This is beautiful." I'm like, "Yeah, it wasn't though. 30, 40 years ago, it wasn't what you see That's a now." Long time. Yeah, but it's a thing of, I. I grew up pretty, what you'd say now, poor, but everyone who I grew up with was poor. Yeah. And so we didn't really know that we were missing out on stuff. Mm. And the school I went to, it tried its best, didn't have an English teacher when I was in year 10, like a qualified English, English teacher. teacher yeah. And so I talk to people now because in my job, you know, a lot of people who were ducks at their school and stuff like that and they went to school where it was like really drilled. Ours was just like, oh, if you can get a job, go do your job. Like. In I see. Tassie in the 90s, you only had to go to year 10 at school. Year 11, 12 was optional. Mm-hmm. And I remember in the summer holidays from year 10 to year 11, I got offered a job uh, as a hairdressing yeah, apprenticeship. apprenticeship yeah. Yes. And my parents were both like, you are crazy to turn this down because that is a job mm-hmm. and hair is always going to be there. Like it's not going to – people are not going to decide, oh, I'll, I won't get my hair cut anymore. But yeah. like you're going to have a job for the rest so of your life. life. And I was like, no, nah, I think I want something more, more than just living in Bernie and cutting people's hair. That's a very straightforward thought. It's a very tunnel vision of, of a very young kid. Yeah, but my, my parents both dropped out of school. Like, my mum dropped out of school in year eight. My dad <coughs> finished year 10, but I don't think he really did well and just got their job. And they were, their plan was to have the same job their entire life. My dad worked selling selling construction to construction companies and so that. And so yeah. he... Uh, yeah, that, that was it. Like you have your job and you're loyal to that job and you just stay in that very, job. Very uh, normal household that you grew up in. Y- yes, yes and no. Like okay. it, it's, it's normal in terms of like two brothers, mum and dad. My mum and dad are no longer together. Uh, mm. But but in that there was so many kind of secrets and stuff that like, you look back and go, that's a lot of trauma from my parents and their parents it's been passed on. And they're dealing with it. And only now do I realise, oh, that's why they act like that. Because you can understand as an adult yeah. then you could understand as, as very Yeah, new. and I, I do find I'm at a position now where I can understand it and also mm. kind of empathise and forgive them for it because they didn't know. They were young as well. They had kids yes. really young and they didn't understand that what they were doing was affecting other people. But I, I do, I have other friends who situate, same situations and they really hold on and really blame their parents for I'm like you got to have a bit of empathy for it they, they were doing the best the best yeah absolutely Josh <clears throat> growing up in in Bernie and having that kind of reminder did you had friends or like as a as a comedian or a, to me like I love making my friends laugh yeah 
and I, I get great validation from making them laugh. Did you? Were you that guy in the group? Yeah, I always gravitated towards funny people, and yeah. we always the whole. Th- I remember that thing. We the whole thing was just trying to make each other laugh. Oh, and, yes. and we were. I was growing up in the, in the days of like when video cameras were just coming out, so the cam camcorders. Yes. And so me and my friend Kyle, we both yeah. had one, yeah. and we'd just make because he was uh, he, he used to surf, and oh. he, we'd watch the surf videos. And they were all like homemade videos and stuff like that. And so we'd try and recreate a bit like, you know, it was before the jackass days, but we'd be doing dumb stuff. And I, he's, he posted one up on my Facebook page, like, and it comes up in the, my memories of him whacking me in the head with the pillow so hard. My whole neck goes back. And I watch it and I go, I can't believe my neck didn't break. But we would have just laughed about that straight away, just watched it about a hundred times. Look how my neck breaks. Um, and just dumb stuff like that. Just get. Just boys, just having hanging, having fun. Well, it was. It really was just entertaining yourself. Like yes. it was that because our parents all worked during the days. And after school, you guys just yeah. had just hanged around and had fun. Because I was, I was saying this the other day. So my summer holidays, my parents worked all through my summer holidays, and we didn't have any like holiday programs and stuff like that. So my parents would give me and my brothers four dollars, four dollars, four dollars each, and go go to the pool. It cost a dollar twenty to get into the pool. In so pool. We had, the, the, the swimming pool. Swimming pool, yes. So we had $2.80 for lunch and if we were bored at the pool, so mm-hmm. they'd drop us off there in the morning mm-hmm. at 9 and they'd mm-hmm. finish work at 5 and come pick us up if we were still there. Yes. And if we weren't there, we would have been to an, at our nan's house who lived like about 500 metres from the pool. Yeah. And that was every summer holidays for like from year 4 to year 10. Wow. Okay. D- did you have comedian friends growing up? Uh, so one of my my best friend in primary school, in high school, we both started comedy at the same time, but yeah. he was living in Canberra and I was living in uh, in Launceston. Wow, Dan's, Dan's so, from Canberra. Uh, yeah. So the bedroom philosopher, yes. you know, the, another, uh, yes, another musical yes, comedian. Yes. Yeah. So we went all through high school together. We were best friends in high school, uh, and then just happened to kind of be both doing comedy songs. You you partnered up together. Yeah, as we well did. We for we were through, uh, we did a. a Fringe show and a comedy yeah. festival show. I remember that. I remember that. Yeah, the yeah. Renegades of Folk is what we called. The Laugh of Palooza yeah, DVD. DVD yeah. I, I, I had that <laughs> growing That's... up, and I watched that over and over again because oh. I love musical comedy. See, that was that was when Tim Minchin blew up, and yeah. it was this weird thing because that was the year I think he'd already blown up the year before, and then this was the year they filmed it. But that Laugh of Palooza show, I, I tell people about this now. It was the hot ticket in town. Mm. It was like because Tim and Eddie Perfect were on there. Tripod were on there, Sister She, me, Sammy J, Sam Simmons would do stuff and uh, Bedroom Philosopher. And the, I remember the very first time we did it, it was at RMIT, mm-hmm. the Clyde Theatre. It was in January. And so I'd never met Tim before. No one knew. This was before he kind of got mm. huge. He hadn't done a show on the Comedy Festival yet. Maybe he had done one the year before at the Butterfly Club, but no one went along and mm. saw it. And so he was hosting and it was like this is – and then I was on, but I couldn't stick around and watch – the other acts because right. I had to go and off, I'd book tickets to see bands and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but it was this thing of like, oh, wow, this is like musical comedy because it used to be like other comics like, oh, it's a six-string clapping machine. It's easy. And then it was like all of us in a room going, oh, this is actually really good. Mm-hmm. We actually got something here and everyone's kind of had their own style. It wasn't just kind of – there were no song parodies. It was just all of us writing our own songs and doing them. And then that year in the comedy festival was – there was a tent down at, along the Yarra, down at Biramar there, and uh, 
it was. I remember lines like being out of the tent trying to get in because yeah. they all want to see Tim Mitchin. Mm. And it was just, yeah, it was. But that was incredible. such a lineup. I mean, Eddie Perfect, Sammy yeah. J. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Before everyone sort of exploded into yeah, their own it was, thing. Yeah. It was super interesting seeing how everyone from that went off to do something way bigger. Mm. Like, yeah. I think I was the last. I was like, I, when I got Spicks and Specs, I was like, oh, finally now we're all kind of gone off and got mm. our own show. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So, Josh, is it safe to say you're the OG of the of the Australian comedy scene? Would, would no. I would, dare I say that? No, there's like no? people that like you talk someone like Rod Quantock or Denise yeah. Scott uh, who were doing it in the 70s. Like it, it's really interesting. I don't know the history as well as I probably should, mm. but um, it's it's interesting to see those who were there from the very beginning, mm. just talking about how it was a real like bear fight like you talk about people i wasn't here when there was this room called the uh, the prince patrick hotel mm. and that was in collingwood and people talk about like you know crowds as being boozed up because mm. pubs saw it as an easy mm-hmm. way you get a whole bunch of people in. you don't have to pay for like yes. bands you got to pay for someone to mix and all this kind of stuff and they got to load in and all this kind of stuff mm. comedian you just get a mic on stage that's all you need and that's all and back then it was a real kind of the crowd were involved, a lot of heckling, a lot of mm. antagonising, and it was those who could, st- like, survive that mm-hmm. kept on going. And yeah. so it made them really tough. And then I come along and I'm in the generation that was like, ah, oh, this is more like theatre. Like, the oh. audience come and sit down, they know what they're getting mm-hmm. into. Mm-hmm. Hecklers are not, like, the rest of the audience don't like the heckler. So oh, if, you, if you're in a room and there's someone heckling, just as, as the comic, you know, well, everyone else in this audience can't stand this person ruining their show. Because as... The time was passing as the generations were, you know, moving forward. The comedians and the audience were changing with that yeah. as well. Yeah. And their aptitude for comedy was changing with that as well. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And especially in Australia, we have this kind of tall poppy syndrome. And especially yes. that was so big in the, like, 80s, early 90s of, like, who do you think you are to get mm-hmm. up on stage and talk to us? There was that mm. going. And so the comics were very blokey. It was like it wouldn't, but you can't blame them for that because that's what you had to do to survive. survive. You saw what was working, mm-hmm. and so that's the type of comedy they do. And then when that kind of changes, and all fashion changes, of course. And yeah. so, like, you do feel sorry for those guys who grew up doing that, and then they, like, what they knew to work mm-hmm. is moving past them, and they're like, oh, I'm, I can either adapt mm. or. Uh, they have to try and reinvent yeah, themselves yeah, all yeah, over yes. again. Yeah. yeah, and then you feel like, oh, I'm not. That's not who I am. Yeah. But like, yeah, and it's, it's very hard to change yourself because you're set in your own ways. And you've after a while, you've like, if you do this something for a while, you're set in your own ways, and it's hard to change because you found finally found your style. Yeah, yeah. Right? That's that's really hard as well because stuff that works, you go, well, this works, and sometimes hit and know, try. Yeah, but there's other times where, you know, you you do a joke and you're like, oh, society's kind of changing away from laughing at that. Mm. But 10 years ago, people didn't care and so it worked. And so you see these comics going, well, it used to work. It's like, yeah, but we've changed. You've changed. And if you really – I used to do a joke about uh, uh, like only children, which always worked. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't even feel this anymore. I'm I'm saying it because I know it gets a laugh, but, like, if I – if someone came up to me after the show and went, that actually offended me, I'd go, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's an mm. offensive joke and I shouldn't have done it. But 
as the comic, you're like, oh, I'm like, my job is to make them laugh. Oh, no. And so you really, it, and it's been great the last, like, because everyone has this, you can't say anything anymore kind of stuff. You, you can say whatever you want. you just got to be able to back it up. And mm. if, if, if you're doing stuff that you go, you know, well, this might make a few people say stuff and then go, oh, this is why they're saying it. You kind of go, yeah, I probably, is it worth saying it? Or is it better just to write something that's funnier? But, look, it's it's... It's a weird thing because people think that people are getting cancelled all the time. No one's getting cancelled. Mm. It's, it's just the thing of like people are like, you can say what you want. You just got to be able to justify why you're saying yes. it. Yes. Josh, how big are you on? T- so since we're on that topic, how big are you on taking risks and being, you know, just saying what you think would make people laugh? I'm getting better. Mm. I used to be didn't care because it wasn't a career. Mm-hmm. And then when I, when I had a day job working at the library... Yes. And comedy was my outlet. Mm. It was great. And I was a lot more risk-taking and I'd do weirder stuff and a bit more, like, surreal stuff. And then when I stopped working and did comedy full-time, it really affected my psyche of going, every every gig got to meet, every gig's important and if mm. I fail at this gig... You had I'm, much to lose. Yeah, exactly. Yes. And I, if I fail at this gig, I might not get another one. And, and it was about four or five years of, like, just being tense about tense. doing it. Mm. And it wasn't until like the last couple of years that I realised, oh no, it's relaxed. You're better when you're relaxed. When you have less, I and, tell yeah. that to Dan as well. Like, like he was nervous. Uh, he's nervous just before the podcast. I said, just calm yourself down. And when you have less to lose, you sort of loosen up, and like yeah. you, it br- it just brings out the best in you. Well, I think podcasting mm. has been great for me mm-hmm. because it is that thing. Because the old podcast I did was like a panel show, mm. and I. I knew the stories coming up, but you, in that you're riffing and some of that, mm. and it's all it, all the live shows were great. Yeah, they weren't like there wasn't anywhere. It was like, well, that was a stinker, and everyone sucked, and I sucked. It was like this was such a fun time, and then trying to use that energy that going, oh, just make it loose, mm. and if something happens in the show, in my actual show, just run with it, and mm. it's not that big deal. Don't have to try and get straight back onto task or back onto script straight away. Yeah. You can kind of have fun. And so that's something that even I've been doing this, like this is my 19th year doing comedy, I still yeah. still have to remind myself this is meant to be fun. Mm. Josh, I'm going to talk to you about podcasting in a second, but I, I'm very fascinated when someone, you know, when, when, how, where they come from we just talked about. While growing up, did you, like, I believe that as a, as a guy, as a man, you have some sort of role models that you look up to and you're like, I want to be like them. Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. I don't know about in comedy if I, as a kid, I had role models. I definitely, I played a lot of sport as a kid. Mm. That was something, that was a way my parents could have just, you know, cheap babysitting. Sport, sorry, sorry. So I played basketball and Australian rules football. Yeah. A bit of cricket in the summer, but I, I hated it. You don't like, like cricket? I just didn't like the ball coming at me. And that's a big... Very quick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very when I was fielding, I was like, please don't come to me. I, I, like, I, I like bowling. I opened the bowling for my high school yeah, team. Yeah. Uh, but batting I was no good at. Mm. And fielding just petrified the entire time. I can relate to that. Because um, being from India, I'm from India, Josh, yeah. right? I think everyone grows up playing cricket in the streets yep. so you're not playing in the grounds yep. we're playing in the streets there are cars going bikes going cyclists and everything it's a very it's a very weird uh, yep. place you grew up in and i like doing it because it's such a big sport in india but i first time i remember i was playing soccer i was like yes 
this is me because yep. there's something very tactical about it something those triangles passing and crossings like yeah that's what i want to do yeah yeah so so i so right back, so i had a very good coach um a man called johnny o'boy who didn't he didn't have his own children but he just he was really good coaching young men mm. and he was like one of these guys who was very tough on us but at the same time didn't raise his voice mm-hmm. like wasn't that kind of stuff it was, it was almost like this is what i expect from you and if you don't do it like i know you can do it i i have this belief in that you can do it wow. and so he was he was great he was like a really good role model and then i i loved basketball and my favorite player growing up is so weird so my every time i had sporting heroes they were always kind of like the more reserved so Steve Wall was my favorite cricketer. Steve Wall. Yeah. yeah. And so he was he was the only uh, bowler, if he'd get someone out, wouldn't do with the big appeal. Just go, all right, I've got, mm-hmm. a, I've got a job to do. got to go back and bowl another one. Mm. And it was such – because everyone else, like, was going crazy. And then my favorite basketballer was a guy called David Robinson who was this seven-foot-one centre, played for San Antonio Spurs, and it was just all – he was just the most fundamentally sound basketballer. Mm. wasn't flashy or something like that. It just yeah. it was like this is – and I'm like – Looking back, going, this is so weird that my two favorite sports people were like the yes. ones who yes. were not like main heroes. Yeah, not your Shane Warne or your Dennis mm-hmm. Rodman who were like bleached hair and earrings yes. and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff, which yes. I mean, a lot of the kids would gravitate to. I was like, mm-hmm. no, I like the guys who just get on with the job. Mm-hmm. And you sort of start looking and attracting those kind of personalities as an individual. Yeah, and you know, as a kid, you don't even realize that you're doing yes. it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that, that was a big one. The other, the, com- comedically, there's a guy, Australian comedian, who Irish actually, uh, Jim Owen. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Do you know Jim Owen? Yes. You know Jim of Owen. Of course I do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He had a show on and when I was in year seven, he had this sketch show mm-hmm. and every single, so it was on, say it was on a Tuesday night, yeah. Wednesday night, that's all we'd talk about at school and yeah. we'd like, and I'd tape it and I'd learn all the sketches and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and me and my friend Justin and Dion would go over them, like just kind of copy them and that would be how we kind of talked to each other. And... Uh, he he was the first stand-up show I ever went and saw. He came to the Bernie Civic Centre and I got front row tickets for my birthday. I was like 13, 14. And I, looking back now, I realised he would have hated that, like walking out and going, oh, there's a fucking kid in the front row. This sucks. But I, I, I loved it. And so Jamal is someone who, even though, you know, I don't try and copy his humour at all, but mm. it's that thing of going, oh, he had such an impact on me as a kid, yeah. just going... Oh yeah, this is what comedy is. Mm. Ah. Have you had any interactions with Jamoan or worked with Jamoan since then? Yeah, I, I never, t- I have never told him. I, yeah. So Jamoan and Bob Franklin were both on the show together, and I toured a bit with Bob Franklin, and uh, I know Bob better than I know Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it's always weird when you see those kinds of people. So. I was lucky enough when I hosted Picks and Specs, we had Adrian Edmondson on, who was from The Young Ones mm-hmm. and Bottom. Yes. And I remember watching the live. Do, have you ever seen Bottom? No, no, so I it's haven't. Rick Mayall and Adrian Edmondson, and they're just two kind of scumbags living in a house together. Mm-hmm. And it's just dumb. Basic. Dumb humor. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just dumb. But it's so, like, as a kid, I loved it. Mm-hmm. And when he was on the show, it was the only time I've ever kind of really broke and just went, look, I've just got to tell you, I, I loved that so much. I really mm-hmm. fanboyed out on him. And he was like, kind of, oh, it's 
Oh, I did that kind of 25, 30 years ago. I'm like, I know, but yeah. I loved it so much and yeah. I just want you to know that, that you're one of the main reasons why I do this. And so it was, um, yeah, that, that, and I just thought, well, I've got nothing to lose here. I'm never yeah. going to see him again. I might as well tell him that I loved him um, as a kid. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got to be surreal sort of uh, working alongside your uh, those people that you sort of grew up with as yeah, well. Yeah, it, it is and it, like you kind of I'm, – I'm very good at reminding myself going 13-year-old me would love mm. what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. And yes. so because you can get so jaded in this industry going, oh, I didn't get this and, or the gig wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. But I, I'm pretty good at stepping away from it going, well, 13-year-old boy in Bernie would never have dreamt to be on this stage mm-hmm. or – backstage talking to Jamal and something mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, you do you do kick yourself sometimes. How do you keep yourself grounded in those moments? I don't know about grounded. It's just about being professional, I think. Mm-hmm. Like you're just going, well, this we're peers. Mm. We're here, both here to do the same gig mm-hmm. pretty much. And so you don't you don't want them walking away going, oh, that was a punish. Yeah. Like, yeah, you just that yeah. thing of like don't – I'm always doing the thing you don't want when you leave the room everyone to go – Oh, thank God. Like, yeah. yeah, that's that's mm, yeah. a good way to live whatever whatever career you're doing. You just don't mm. want to be the person everyone goes, oh, God. So I, um, yeah, have that in mind. But, yeah, there are sometimes like with that Edmondson and I'm like, I just I just have to tell them. I have to just get it out yeah. there. Yeah, <laughs> need to tell. I, all, I was backstage once and Liam Gallagher from Oasis was mm-hmm. there and I almost went up to him but then he had so many bodyguards around. I'm like, I, I don't want to get tackled. So <laughs> that was the only other time I'm like, I wish I told him that as a 15-year-old kid, mm. he was everything I tried to copy. Wow. Okay. So, kids comedy, Josh. Yes. I mean, how did you how did you get into that? I worked, I train teacher. Yeah. Worked at a school library for six years reading books to kids. School library. Yeah. So, um. I used to read funny books to kids, have them laugh yeah. and go... This is great. Like mm. having kids rolling on the floor. And when kids laugh, they're not – sometimes adults laugh because they go, all oh, right, that's the joke. I know mm-hmm. this is a – we're all here. We're all laugh together. Mm-hmm. Kids don't have that. They don't – Very pure. Yeah. If they're laughing, they really want to laugh. They laugh. can't – yeah. And so I really, really love that job. And then um, the comedy festival would do these – the Melbourne Comedy Festival would do these kids' comedy clubs and they'd get a bunch of comics on and do comedy for kids. And the first year I did it, I – was doing a show called Josh Earl's a librarian. So I just kind of went in there with some of my songs from that because they didn't have, didn't have swearing in them and then did it and went, oh, this this isn't for these kids. Mm-hmm. They need something written for them. And mm-hmm. so the next year they offered, they said, do you want to do it again? I said, yes. And so I wrote songs specifically for the kids. kids. So mm-hmm. that was like 2008, I reckon. Wow. And so I had three songs just for kids. Mm-hmm. And then there was this... Melbourne Council, uh, I can't remember what it was, but they would do like these cabaret days for kids and families once a month and they said, they saw me there and they said, oh, do you want to host these ones? So I had those three songs. Mm-hmm. I went and, but I'd do them every month and then it was the same audiences. Yeah. So I thought I better write new stuff, stuff. again. And and then um, and then in 2014 I realised I had enough for a show and mm-hmm. so I thought I'll do a kid show. It seems – and I'd also saw the listies. I'd, at them were called the list operators and they did a show probably 2013 14 maybe um four kids and it was amazing and i i, I watched it because i'm friends with matt and watched it and was like this is so funny like they did this one sketch 
where they had the world's most disgusting sandwich and they're making the sandwich and the mm. kids are going, like they're falling out of their seats just at the thought of making this sandwich. And then they eat it and they had drink bottles with them like that, but the, you couldn't see through them. And they had just green liquid in them and so they'd take a drink and then just vomit all over it. Mm-hmm. And kids falling out of their seats laughing. And I'm like, wow. this is what, like this is a pure comedy. Like this mm. is like really like that base kind of like guttural comedy. And I thought, I, I think I'd, I think I'd enjoy yourself. doing this. I yes. think I'd enjoy performing. And because some, I get it, it's not cool, it's not glamorous doing kids' comedy stuff. But to you. But, yeah, but it, to me it's mm, like it's really yes. rewarding. Like you, you watch it and I've had adults now come up to me and say, I saw you do comedy when I was like 12 years old or 10 years old. Wow. And, yeah, and that's that's really cool. You go, Very well, cool. If, if they're into comedy and they actually have something catered for them because sometimes people will do kids' comedy and they'll do, I'll do one joke for the kids but then I'll do one joke for the adults mm. and you see them mm. just playing to the adults. I'm mm-hmm. like, don't do that because the adults can go and see their own entertainment, mm-hmm. okay? Yes. yes, the adults should be entertained as well but as a parent myself, if my kids are having fun, I'm having fun. Fun too. It's great. Yes. It's Absolutely. Like, yeah. And so I've done now three different hour-long shows for kids and so the one I'm doing this year in the Comedy Festival was written back in 2020. It was like, yeah. yeah, so I was uh, commissioned by a festival over in Perth to write a show mm-hmm. and then the pandemic happened and so that show just kind of sat on my computer for like two and a half years, years. and finally did it at the end of the last year over in Perth and just really enjoy it. And it's that mm-hmm. thing of like, and I now with stand-up going, I need two years to write an hour show. Mm-hmm. I used mm-hmm. to be able to do it a show a year, but the quality kind of drops off. And yeah. also, you, just, you know, I've been doing shows in the Comedy Festival since 2005. I just run out mm. of stuff to say. Mm, really. Absolutely. <laughs> what is that grind like during the yes. Comedy Festival? Yes. Say you're doing a full run for the yeah. entire month for 20-odd shows Yeah. during the course of a uh, four-week period. Yeah. Uh, what <laughs> What is that like? It... I used to do it and work as well, so that was really tough. Because mm-hmm. also you feel like if you don't go out, this is when you're first doing it, if you don't go out and kind of network and do the stuff, you're like, mm. oh, I'm kind of missing out on stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm missing, you're not really. Like you're missing out on some people having a conversation and mm. kind of looking over your shoulder seeing if there's someone from TV they can go talk to as mm-hmm. well. And then I am in a really, you know, pretty standard situation now. I've got a wife and two kids. And if I go out and party every night for a Mm. month, that's not good Mm -hmm. for anyone. Mm. And so that's very, keeps me very grounded. But also it's like, it's now it's a job and you go, well, it's it's a pretty good job. It's like I work for an hour a night. Mm. Yeah, I've got to, you know, get there half hour before and make sure I'm all all ready to do the show. And then then I'm done. Mm. And so it's. it can be really hard. And if you buy into reading all the reviews or worrying about ticket sales or how mm. other people are doing. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest mistake, I think, because mm-hmm. you think everyone online looks like they're having an amazing festival. Mm-hmm. But then if you talk to them, they're like, oh, yeah, it sucks. Like I talked to – there was another comic, a UK comic, who's a friend of mine, who got a five-star review. He'd sold out his entire run uh-huh. and he's complaining because he's like, that's the wrong type of people come to the show, though. Mm. They're just sitting there. They're, they're not, they just saw it because they saw it got five stars in the age so they think it's the best show, so that's why mm. they're here. They're not here because they like me. I'm like, what are you complaining about? <laughs> like you've got a full – house and you get to do yeah. your, your stuff and so I think it can be really grueling I'm not saying it's super easy mm. but at the same time it's not as hard as like my brother's a doctor in emergency mm-hmm. that's a hard job yeah yeah 
Yeah. Did you ever feel like that, that your friend from UK, the comedian, did you ever feel like that ever? Did I ever feel like it's the wrong crowd coming? Or? Yes, because an, as an, I think I feel like what from pr the perspective is coming from as an artist, he wanted to be perfect. If yeah. Some sort of, if, if I'm on yeah, the right track. So, sometimes you do get in that headspace of going just nitpicky and going, this is this should have been right and this wasn't. But then at the same time, you're like, well, I I just, you're never going to be happy if that's how you kind of live it. Because what, so you have the perfect gig, then what? Then you've got to do another one to, the next night. Yeah, and then the you're next like, mountain. Yeah. It's so the next you, mountain. And I, a lot of people who are very successful, you talk to them and you're like, oh, they've all got their own issues about mm. where they are yes. or what other people are doing and what they're not doing. And so, yeah, I think if you just kind of relax a bit and go, we're all running our own race and it's, yes. it's uh, a lot better that way than comparing yourself to all the others. I'm I'm fascinated by your attitude and your gratitude towards your craft. Oh, thanks. It's, it's it, I mean, it fascinates me that that you you think like that. And while you were doing those shows and kid kids shows, like as someone who has absolutely no idea about comedy, what was your approach like with kids shows? Yeah. So and how, how was your approach like with adults? Because I, I, I imagine the content would be way different than, than the two. It is, but this, it's the same thing. It's the same like element of surprise element. Writing a joke is the same. You just got to pull back reveal or element of surprise. They didn't think you were going to say that. Yes. So for kids, yeah. it's like, sometimes it's the easy thing of going, I'm an adult. So you don't expect an adult to be silly. And so that's the, uh, that's the joke there. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I, especially with my last two, the first kids show I wrote was very much, they like jokes about snot and all this kind of stuff. And so you kind of do that. And then, then you go, this isn't, yes, they're enjoying it, but they're not yes. going to walk away fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And so my next show, I wrote a whole story. It was a whole, mm -hmm. like, a narrative about this boy in a small town and all the different characters in that town. And that was I put, put that out there as the best show I've ever mm -hmm. written, like into mm -hmm. it, adult show, kids show, whatever. It was like it was a really, really well thought out show that was like played really well and was really fun to perform. And so the new show is all about because it was written at during the pandemic. Yes. And my kids at the time were like six and eight, mm. and my six year old really struggling. It was the type of show I was like, what, what would I like him to see, to let him know that you're not alone in this world. No one really knows all the answers. Mm -hmm. Adults don't know the answers. We're just all trying our best. We're all still learning. Yes. And so that was what I took, went into this new show. So the new show is called Humankind. And I, I was going to do it as in like, because the, the Perth Festival wanted me to do, I did a show called Joshua as a librarian for adults. They said, oh, can you do one for that for kids and we'll, do, we'll hold it in the library. Yes. And I was like, okay, so I was going to go through how the Dewey Decimal System, I was going to go through the entire Dewey Decimal System is. But I was going to do it as like, say, an alien comes here and you go through, okay, tell me about uh, who, are, who are you, like philosophy, and then where do you live or what makes you... And so go through. So that's how the Dewey Decimal System's kind of worked out. What do you do for recreations in the 600s and then... Well, no, that's health and then 700s and then I used to know it. And then music is in the 800s, art and all that kind of stuff. And then 900s is like um, cities and all that kind of stuff. And I was going to go through that, where do you live? And then I kind of just went, oh, I think I just want to talk to them as me though, not as I'm an alien. Yes. So I wrote to the festival saying, hey, this idea I think will be better as a show. And they were like, yeah, whatever, mm -hmm. it's your show, just do it if you want. And so, yeah, the whole thing was like, 
there's some laughs in there, but there's also some moments where it's like, I had some parents go, I got a bit teary at the end there when you were talking about uh, all this stuff is important, but the most important thing is being kind. That's mm-hmm. that's the really right. what what the show is about. It's like being cool fades. Mm-hmm. Like eventually, <laughs> being kind doesn't doesn't. And yes. so I think that's that's kind of what these these kids shows are about. And it kind of like it sounds sappy, but kind of like that writing that show kind of influenced the show I did in the modern contemporary mm-hmm. one, which was kind of like all about you know it was not f- finding my place in my world kind of thing, which is what most of my shows are about which yes. when you boil it down to. But it's, I think I'm finally getting to a point where I can, um, what's the word, uh, ex- express it a bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you finally find your style that, okay, this is, you know, what I like doing. And I want to ask a very a different question. You know how when you're watching a football match yes. in a stadium, I feel like whenever I'm in a situation where I don't know the answers to or I want to critique something that I've done, I do that, like I box out and like, hmm, I could have done this better. And I feel like you, you do you do that with your sets? Yeah. I mean, a lot of comics, and I'm not alone in doing this, is they record their sets and listen to it mm-hmm. on the way home in the car and go, all right, that's, that should be better. And just that's sometimes you, you get material off the back of that as well and you, you f- hear where the laughs are because in the room you think oh they laughed at that and then you listen back oh it wasn't really what the, the pop I was after and then this one got the, the laugh and so there is a really good thing about reflect reflection as well and when I used to teach uh, and be in the in the library and you know you you teach kids how to you know write essays and stuff like that and I used to always say reflection is really important so just when you get it marked, that's not when it ends. So when, when the actual teacher writes down something and under improve, you need to actually look at that as well. Because as a kid, I didn't know that. I, I just thought as soon as it's in, it's gone that's out it. of my head. <laughs> I did it all through uni as well. As soon as I've done that exam, I am not thinking about this again. Yes. And I think that's not a good way for education to work. Because so many people did it. So many people cram the night before the exam mm. and then they're like, oh, I'll never think about those. Ever again? Th- those again, yeah. Mm. Wow. Josh, um, I think Dan was talking about speech therapy to me. Yeah. I think that, it was your show last year where you mentioned speech therapy. Yeah, so the show Talks was all about yeah. So for the first five years of my life I was uh, not nonverbal but very hard to understand from anyone outside of my immediate family. And then I got to kindergarten and um, the teachers there were like, hey, we, we, he, we know he understands us but we don't mm-hmm. know what he's mm-hmm. trying to say and I couldn't write. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, they recommended me doing speech therapy. So for eight years, for an hour a week, I'd go off to the, the Bernie speech pathologist and work with uh, the educators there and got... And that's what pretty much why I got into doing drama at school because my parents were like, yeah, mm. do speech... Because it used to be called speech and drama. Yes. And so, like, do, do that. So uh, don't feel bad about... Or don't feel weird about being one of the only boys in the class and all yeah. that kind of stuff, yeah. I did speech therapy too when, yeah. I, when I was a kid um, and I just felt quite ostracized yes. um from or like i was being put in another box that all the other kids weren't in yeah so i resented it but the same thing was recommended to me going and doing yeah drama yeah which actually helped a great deal more than the what was, uh, what was your because mine was a praxis or a speech so it's, oh, i'm not too sure yeah. about mine but i've got 
I speak way too fast, so my That's words come out yep. way too jumbled. Yeah. <laughs> so I really have to make a conscious effort to think about what I say before I say it. I'm the same. There's words that I make sure yeah. I avoid. Uh-huh. And my I kind of describe it to people like it's like a water slide mm-hmm. that gets blocked. It's a very good analogy, yeah. And once it's blocked and then it gets unblocked, Everything tumbles out, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to catch up and slow it. Down. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm continually trying to catch up with my yeah <laughs> with my speech. And I it it was kind of like I felt fine about it. Mm-hmm. I always used to because I'm also Tasmanian, so we have a little bit of an accent. Mm-hmm. So me and Luke McGregor, Hannah Gadsby, we all kind of mumble a little bit. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I got on TV when it was like everyone was commenting on my speech and how fast I was and even but even the person doing the um, auto cue was like you're not as fast as Sean McAuliffe mm. you're not as fast as other people who I do the auto cue for because I actually am mm-hmm. slowing down for you so it was just about the clarity for me but people mm-hmm. thought I was speaking really fast mm-hmm. and so that was really hard actually like because I thought I'd you know done all the work done the eight years of speech therapy and really struggled and really put, mm-hmm. the, put the effort in and then people not knowing that were just like What's wrong with his voice? And I was like, mm. I just wanted to say, I have a practice of speech. I have like all this, I've done all this, but it was a weird thing where I never was given the opportunity to really come mm-hmm. out and say that. It was, yeah. yeah, it was bizarre. If I had my time again, I'd, I'd definitely come out and say, this is in all the press before the show. Hey, just so you know, I have a practice of speech. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's actually amazing that I'm actually hosting a show and talking on, on, on TV, mm-hmm. let alone like, Maybe I'm doing it fast, but yeah. Well, with you, you went through all those years with speech therapy, whereas I resented it so much that my parents said, okay, you don't have to do it anymore. Okay, so I'm sort yeah. of just sort of wondering how far I would have... I probably would have resented it, but my parents yeah. were smart and they got me out of religious studies. Right. So it was okay. one hour a week. And so the kids in my class mm. wanted to be like me. They wanted to go, mm. oh, can we go off with Josh? And they're like, no, Josh has got to go do his own gotcha. thing. Yeah. And so that's... Yeah, that, that was really – and they didn't know. They just were like, yeah, we don't care if he learns right. about religion. Like just, yeah, that'll be when we do it. And so, yeah, it was – I was very lucky. You know, when I was doing it, I wasn't getting out of any classes because it was always yeah. after school. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I just wanted to go out and hang yeah. out with mates. Yeah. yeah, it's so hard. I mean, I've got my kids that they're playing basketball at the minute. I've got one who wants to wants to pull out because he's not getting the ball. I'm like, just just – just keep, just keep it doing it. it. You Stick will re- regret it, it. If, you, if you pull out. But it's hard because mm. I'm like, hey, if it's not fun and you're a kid, yeah, I understand. You don't want to do it. Mm. Well, so I, it's, fa- it's fascinating for someone who did speech therapy. The ultimate fear is public speaking, I'm guessing. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. guessing, just yeah. assuming. Yeah. And you said you were doing drama then. Yeah. How was the transition like from speech therapy to drama? Because were you doing the same two uh, two things at similar time? So yeah, so my school had speech therapy, oh, speech and drama from year eight was the elective. So you, you did it in year seven, you had to do it in year seven, you had yes. to do everything, and then in year eight you got to choose if you wanted to do it or not. And I was wow. like, I, I really enjoyed it, and my parents were like, yeah, do it because it's going to help you with the speech. Mm. But that stage I wasn't doing speech therapy though. Okay, but it was still learning how to deliver a monologue and was all that, that kind of stuff. Was that before speech therapy or after speech therapy? This was after speech therapy. After so speech. so from like 6 to 13 doing six speech 13, therapy. Yes. And then 13, 14 doing drama at school. And so I think my parents were like, oh, well, he's doing that. We don't need to do the speech therapy anymore. But I remember in year 10 uh, having to give a speech at the assembly 
and just going so fast. And because mm-hmm. I was nervous as well, it was the most mm-hmm. people, because normally I'd perform to my classmates. Mm-hmm. So I was comfortable mm-hmm. with them. But then it was the whole school, so it was like 400 kids. And I remember going so fast. Mm-hmm. And I remember afterwards there was like some me and my friends kind of talking. There was another teacher who I didn't know but he taught another class and he said, oh, he kind of made a joke about how fast I spoke. And I remember I remember the shame just going, oh, yeah, I just mm. I just got – I couldn't get out of it. I got so super nervous and when the adrenaline kicks in it was really hard and I remember – And you're getting nervous too. Yeah. Right? And I remember those kind of same shame feelings coming back when mm. when the yeah. whole Spicks and Specs thing was coming out. I was like, oh, I'm just I'm trying. And then you don't want to like – not give the energy because the energy is good. The mm. energy is what makes it kind of pop fun. and fun. Yeah. Yes. But then you're like, oh, no, I've got to battle with this not to go too fast. And then mm-hmm. had people recommend uh, beta blockers and stuff. I'm like, I don't want to, no, I don't want to do that, uh, go down that road. Bad. Yeah. Cause I actually still want to feel like, cause that kind of blocks the highs and the lows. Yes. So I don't want to, yeah. So it, it's, it has been a struggle, but it's, you know, it's, it's an okay struggle. Like I've, I've chosen, yeah. Yeah. Do you still always have that in the back of your mind when you're performing? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes I'm on stage I can really, like if I know I'm going fast mm. and I catch it. Mm-hmm. On all my set lists at the top of it, I always say go slow. Mm-hmm. And Brett Blake, we and him shared a room yeah. together and we both, without knowing it, had the same things on our set list at the top because we have a uh, speaker on, from the stage right. just our set list of like jot, jot, yep. jot down stuff. But on his was like uh, slow down, fuckhead, yeah. and mine was just go go slow, all written. <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, fun that I'm not the only one who yeah. has to deal with that. Yeah. Do you, Josh? Uh, I feel like someone who is in speech therapy and why you need speech therapy is your brain's firing information faster than your mouth can talk. Yeah. Do you when? After that phase of you learn you're doing speech therapy, did you ever get into situations where you got nervous and you defaulted back to that same old pattern? Yeah, it happens a bit, but you, like it, you just kind of know what words to avoid as well, and realize it's okay to slow down. Like on stage, I'll have a, I'll have a drink of water. It's like all right, mm-hmm. that, that'll that'll be a reset. Mm-hmm. If I if I f- find I'm going way too fast myself, I'm like all right, I'll just have a drink of water and take the time. And because in my early shows when I'd do music, there'd be no... And that was the other thing. Music was good because I, if I slowed down my hands, mm. my mouth would have to... I couldn't sing faster than yeah. the chords. Yes. Yes. And so that's probably why I... You, you know, had to stay yeah. in those uh, rules. And that would be the reset. But I had a woman at, after one of my shows one year just go, there was no break in your show. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? She goes, you just went the whole hour. You've you got to give us the audience the time to have a break. break yes. And I was like, it's only an hour. Like, yeah, but then I realised, oh, she's right. Like the audience, because I've been in audiences where I'm like going, I've, I've lost where what they're saying here. I just need time. And I think my attention span's not as great as it used to be, mainly because of my phone. But it is that thing of going, oh, sometimes, yeah, I forget... And it's good to, as a, as a performer yes. to go and watch stuff because you realise what it's like to be an audience member. Yes. It's not just like, – you don't just get inspired by the ideas but you also realise that in because I always make sure I go and see the shows in my room in the festival. So the festival, you're sharing the room with like there's a show on before you or a show on after you or whatever. And I always make sure I see this so I know what it feels like to be in this room going, mm. oh, yeah, so it's really hot or the chairs are really uncomfortable. I've got to, I've got to be aware. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it, if yeah. I'm on stage at the half hour mark and I see people like wriggling around, it's not because they're bored, it's because no. their chair's really yeah. hard. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or the light's right or the speaker's right in their face mm-hmm. and so make sure I don't yell right into the microphone because they're going to get blasted. That's amazing that while you're performing, you're act, 
like there's a psyche at the back of your mind you're thinking actively thinking about what's happening in the very present moment yeah does that hinder your performance in any which way no i think comics are really good at doing that yes. comics like what mm. the what we're trying to do is like we we know where we're going to get yes. we're also going to be open enough to something happens in the room to deal with it mm-hmm. but also listening to the laughs and you know the audience will tell you what they're going for and what yep. they're not going for and mm-hmm. so as you get better at comedy and more experienced in comedy you you realize this is what you're doing mm-hmm. yes. like at the start you don't realize you're doing it mm-hmm. and yeah. then you go oh cool I'm, I'm got, I've got it here and you can kind of ride it a bit and kind of you know, you know when you've got them, you know when to pull back and you know, okay, they didn't go for this bit earlier yes. so they might not go for this bit later so I've got to do some really, like either uh, really charm them ah. or yeah. just kind of select in my brain, all right, if I cut that out, what will I replace it with or how will I, will I switch it up to get them on my side beforehand mm. and it's all that kind of stuff that you're kind and of doing at once. If you think about comedy, I think it's one of the fastest feedbacks you get in any art form. It's very instant. Yep. Yeah. Like, you know when your jokes, not, jokes are not landing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Well, it's, it's the art where you get the audience are editing for you as well. Yeah. So I, I did an interview with a musician who plays, like, he plays in the back of the Dirty Three and they do, like, kind of 20-minute long... Uh, instrumental songs yes. and I was like when do you know the song's finished like because you know you can just add and add and add to it and he goes well that's the that's the art of being a musician like that's me as the artist going this is when it's finished because I said I don't know how a painter it's like uh, no all right no more no more paint on this that's it mm. and he said that's just the skill of the artist going I now it's now it's done now it's and, a finished piece and that going they might not be happy with it but they know that if I do anything more it's going to lose something. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think that's and that's the same with comedy because people often think, oh, just because you've done the show, like the hour-long show, then those jokes are done. But so often you talk to comics and like, it's on the last night of the comedy festival, they go, I just thought of a great tag for mm. this joke and I could have done it the whole thing and now mm. I only did the one show and I'll have to go back and do it again. And so it is a thing, like the jokes aren't finished just because you've done no. the show. Like you can go, oh, that, if I do this, then maybe that'll work. Because this, like when you have a set, like things can branch off of yeah. them. And when you critique, you change it, things branch off of them. Okay. Um, Josh, in, in your career as a comedian, did you have any... Any profound moments when you when you felt like okay, like things are tough because I'm I'm sure every human being has those. Yeah, I mean I've I've, I've spoken about my struggles with having I had a TV show that cancelled after one season and that was really tough because it was very public and also it happened the day that my son was born mm. so that's when it was announced publicly and so that was just struggling with that and also thinking I was alone doing it so I didn't really open up with anyone for like. Two, three years, really. Like a real, like friends knew I was pissed off about it. Mm-hmm. Friends knew I was annoyed, but I didn't really go into the action, like you know, the feelings of shame and all that kind of stuff. And and then, so I have been very lucky that I, I went and saw a therapist, and she was amazing. I don't see her anymore um, because it's, it's funny because some people like I wrote this thing about and um, how I was you know having suicidal thoughts. And uh, people were like saying, oh, when you were suffering depression, I'm like, I didn't suffer. I, I was 
I, it's really weird because I, I don't think I suffered depression. I was just sad because mm. of this moment mm. and I just had to deal with it. And so I went to a therapist and she was like, she said what I was dealing with was uh, PTSD from it and I didn't oh, really see. open up about it. And I was like, oh, as soon as she said that, it was almost like this relief of, oh, I'm, I've, I've been seen. Someone mm. understands mm-hmm. and someone's like, you're not crazy. You're not being selfish or narcissistic. Yeah, I went through something that was really hard and I kind of tried to do it all on my own and it was affecting other facets of my life. And so as soon as she said, you had PTSD, you still probably have PTSD, it was like, oh, that's that's what I needed to hear. I just needed someone to say, mm. yeah, what you went through was really hard and you need to give yourself time to grieve it. Mm. And so she just said something amazing, which was, and this is not working for everyone, but she was like, when do you think you were the most happiest in your life? And I was like, oh, probably... Probably when I was 14 and I had no responsibilities and I was playing basketball on the on Friday nights and Sundays and I was just hanging out with friends. And she goes, well, do you still play basketball? I said, nah. She goes, why not? Mm-hmm. Well, do you watch it? I'm like, I don't really have time. She goes, well, watch some watch, games and, yeah. yeah, go for a shoot around in the park. And that absolutely changed my life for so much but I play now on a Monday night so it's, I, it's a highlight of my week mm. like oh. I, I say no to gigs so I can go play my basketball Monday night basketball old man league uh, and I really like and it's it was that thing of going yeah because I, I wasn't doing anything for me like it was mm-hmm. like I was doing comedy and comedy was for me mm-hmm. but then it was a career it's your job and so you so kind of yeah you need something out you, of that you still need a happy place to go to yeah or something, yeah. so you can just stop thinking about yeah. it like yeah because if you're all encompassing, like, and so that was that was great. Just going, oh, if I can just play basketball and not think about my career for hmm. the night that I'm I playing guess. basketball, that was. And it, it, look, it's it's really worked for me. That that worked for me. Like, I'm sure others people are going, well, I'm just going to go play netball or basketball, or hockey, and it's going to hmm. fix me. But uh, I think the thing of finding out when you were your happiest and what made you happy then yes. is a good good starting block mm-hmm. to go, okay, how, how can I get back to that mm-hmm. if, if, if it still applies? Mm. And I think that's very interesting because when you're doing some, those specific things that makes you happy, time and space sometimes doesn't exist for you. You're just in so much in that moment. You're yeah. just playing. Yeah, and, and just going over it as well, mm. just overthinking it as well yeah. and just going because you know that the other people who are in that situation with you, they're not thinking about it. They've yeah. moved on. They don't even know that you like you're struggling with yes. some of that. So, yeah. So if anyone listen, talk it out with someone. Uh, be around good friends. Find something that actually mm. makes you happy. Did you, go ahead. Uh, I, I just have to say that I loved your version of Spicks and Specs. It was the same show. It was, it was. just different. A different host, different team yeah. captains. Maybe the set was a bit it updated, was, but it, it, it was the same. It's so funny. So as soon as it finished, everyone has come out and said, "Oh, I actually loved it." Mm. Like, and they say, "I actually loved it," as if like people hate it but it didn't it wasn't it was I think it just was bad timing and it yeah. was like it was just I think back now and go I wish that they told me it was only one season mm-hmm. they go you're just going to do one season I would have loved it I would have mm. absolutely said yep I'll do one season yep. one and out but the fact that you'd, you're forever not knowing oh, well you have this has. sort of anticipation I suppose at the start that it's going to be massive yeah because of the name alone. Yeah, but also that thing of going like every week it was like ratings of this and you're like, oh, mm. is that good? Like I had my dad talk about ratings. What do you care about the ratings? Yeah. Like it's yeah. like, yeah, and so it, it's it's a weird beast like television and how important it is to some people mm. within the grand scheme of things. You're like going, it's something that people turn on sometimes mm. when they're just cooking dinner. They're not really, I mean, 
I love my time there. Mm. Everyone who I worked with was great to work mm-hmm. with, um, but it was a very dark moment in my life mm. after it finished yeah. because as soon as it finished, I didn't hear from a lot of people who I was working on that show right. with. Yeah. You, you had a very sort of natural hosting ability, I thought, when I was watching it. Did that influence don't you know who i am to any degree yeah so don't you know who i am was made after that so for those it was a podcast i did which was a quiz show all about the contestants lives and because i on spicks and specs we were doing the thing where it was like i had someone who i knew had toured with bob dylan mm. so we do a bob dylan question so they can talk about bob dylan god mm. no you actually toured with bob dylan and it was kind of like reverse engineered mm-hmm. and i was like well, let's just ask like just get the good stories and ask them as quiz questions and then that can be a way to do it. And so that was kind of, it very much influenced it. And the plan was to hopefully it was get on TV mm. and I kind of went, oh, well, now that would I lie to you is on TV. Mm. It's a similar kind of concept. So I was mm. like, don't, that, that's that gone now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I worked on the first season of Would I Lie to You? So I was very happy that mm-hmm. it got up and people who, uh, are friends of mine had got a, a platform to tell their stories. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it influenced it in terms of going, I enjoyed the panel aspect. Mm-hmm. I enjoy a quiz keeping along to try mm-hmm. and get the audience engaged or who's going to win. And, yeah, but just saying, okay, this is what I thought was not wrong with it but what I'd do different. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so that's that's what how Don't You Know How kind of came about. You had very much a freedom that you wouldn't have had on Spicks and Specs yeah, as well. Yeah, ex- exactly. And because I, I always talk about how whenever you do like a, a best of a show mm. and they do a clip show, it's always the mistakes they show. They always mm-hmm. are the time that like... We just had it with Carrie Bickmore on the project. She fell over one day and they keep show they show that mm. as a highlights. And I was like, yeah, it's it's all the loose bits that people actually do enjoy mm-hmm. on TV. They, they like to know that, yeah, they make mistakes and they're humans and mm. they're laughing about it. Mm. And so with the podcast, it was all that kind of stuff, all those stories and all that kind of freedom that you can have on a podcast to say whatever you want uh, within reason. How hard was it to put together those episodes from week to week? Because you're having to do research for yeah. four different comedians or artists or so whoever it is. I had to book four people, do so it got easy where I'd send out like a questionnaire and they'd send it back. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they'd send it back, mm-hmm. not everyone sent it back. And then if they didn't, I'd listen to different podcasts they were on or like read interviews they'd done and get little stories here and there. And, um, yeah, so it was a lot of work. Uh, but the main thing was wrangling four comics to mm-hmm. set a time. Oh, yeah. like, All right, no we're doing it here. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, that's... That was I'm, – I'm relieved I'm not doing that anymore, although I am doing it at a comedy festival. I'm doing is that shows. why you ended it? Uh, that and also uh, Would I Lie to You came out. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, the, okay. the, the, no, win- right. the window for this being mm-hmm. made into a TV yeah. show has kind of been closed. Josh, Josh, I still enjoy the live shows, by the way. Yeah, they're great. I <laughs> yeah. can't wait to do them in the comedy okay. festival. Were you doing that research just by yourself? Just by, just by my, It's so funny. Oh, so I'd, I'd pitch this – I'd pitch the show around and they're like, and they're like oh, okay, so you'd need like a, a segment producers and how many writers? And I was like, well, I just do it on my own. I don't, I don't really know. And mm-hmm. everyone was like, going, that's, that's crazy. It's too much. Too, I'm like, no, you can do it. Like, and, and the reason I did it on my own is because, one, it was just a podcast. I wasn't going to pay someone to do the research. And also it was my, my vision of my show and I wanted to be able to do it that way. And I think it's really hard. That's why a lot of TV shows, like you see a comic and go, they're amazing. And then you see them on a TV show and go, oh, it's not as what I thought. It's because there's so many voices involved and mm. everyone kind of trusting other people and it's, it's the saying like uh, horse by committee is a camel. It's like mm-hmm. it's 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 like that's why I really like it when there's like T 
TV shows and White Lotus is a perfect example of just one person's vision. Mike mm. White wrote the whole thing and was involved in the casting and it's like, yeah, it's his vision and that's why it feels like it's a succinct whole piece of art. Yes, yeah. and you enjoy that thoroughly as someone who is doing it because you have a control over it yeah. and you, there's the vision that you see is coming actually to reality yeah. and so so rewarding about it. Yeah, and that, that's the other thing. Like, And the podcast listeners are, of all, so I've worked in radio, TV, I've, done, I've had articles in the paper and stand, I think podcast audiences are the most kind of loyal and also mm-hmm. most invested because they've gone to the trouble of downloading it, like they've listened to it, they listen to it with their headphones mm-hmm. on so it's a personal thing. Mm. Uh, quite often I'll get people going, yeah, your podcast gets me through my work day. Without your podcast I wouldn't, I couldn't get to the office. Uh, your blah, podcast blah, blah. Yeah. got me through lockdown. Yeah, and so, yeah, you have <laughs> yeah. all that kind of stuff and you go, oh, this is so great and, yeah. like, it's just me on my own. I was in lockdown, was just in my office, mm. in my in my house, just doing Zoom and trying to figure out how all that worked and it kind of worked out fine in the end. There was some touch and go moments there, but everyone was in the same boat. So it was like, yeah, it was, it was really nice. Um, yeah, and having a little community, especially when you do the live shows in Melbourne, the same the same little mm-hmm. like groups yes. come and they all sit in their same spots. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, and they get the in-jokes and all that kind of stuff. How does, can you just quickly glaze over, how does one get into researching about someone and I, I'm very curious because we're in that same boat right now. Yeah, so my show, the first round of the show was everyone's social media so I'd go through their social media yes. and find quotes that they've said and that kind of stuff and then luck, like with comics they're very open mm. in their interviews. Mm-hmm. They like very quickly will tell you the most embarrassing that, thing that ever Things, happened to yeah. them and so I'd find stories like that and yeah and just and then you'd send – I, I would send off the questionnaire and they'd answer it and so I'd have questions like when was the most you ever got in trouble as a kid, uh, first job you ever had, worst boss you ever had, those kind of stories and try and flesh out a bit mm-hmm. more. And if there was something that really grabbed me, I'd write back to them and go, hey, is it cool if we talk about this story? Can you give me some more details? And they, they wouldn't – it was good for the comics coming onto a podcast knowing exactly what they were going to mm-hmm. tell Expect. their stories about. Yes. And so – and it was the other good thing was that – everyone got their story heard. So sometimes if you're on a panel show, you're you, you wanting to get in but you just can't because... There's a time... And there's someone else talking and yes. you've got to wait and you don't want to jump on them. And then this... Mm. My show was like, well, this question's all about you. So mm. you've got to answer the question as best you can. Wow. And so, yeah, it, it was always fun knowing that the person, if, even in the first round, I haven't said much, there's a round all about them coming up and mm. so they're going to get their time to shine. And no. so, yeah, that was always nice That's giving very interesting yeah, concept. giving people, like, enough space so they can actually show off their wares. Hmm. I, ha- I had a question about writing. Um, and I think we, there was the, we were just talking about this just past then. That Daniel said something, and what I was referring to that when you speech therapy and your brain's firing uh, words more than your mouth can talk. And Dan said that he can articulate more while he's typing or texting. Mm. Yeah. And I want to ask you that, does that happen to you? Because I, I feel like you write as well. Do you, do you write much? Yeah. I, so I, I've written for TV shows. Yeah. I write out my... When I write a stand-up show, I write it all out on my laptop. I used mm. to write handwritten, which was probably better because you brain can th- I can type faster than I can handwrite yes. so your brain can come up with either 
better jokes or a better way to say it. Mm-hmm. But typing, I'll just sit there and type. Um, and I just like being able to see it visually. It mm. also helps me because I've got to say it mm. and I can't read it off the page when I'm up on stage. So it helps me learn it as well by typing it all out. Um, yeah, and so I think it's, it's interesting. There's pros and cons to both ways. I know some people write on stage. They come up, they come up with a concept and they go, oh, I'll, figure, I'll flesh it out when I'm up on stage. Like and freestyle. I've, yeah, and I've done that before because it's been a true story. So I'm like, oh, I'll just tell the story and I'll find the beats in it to... Mm where the, the jokes are. That's why it's important to listen back to it, to go, yes. this needs improvement, never say that again. And that's that's <laughs> this is the bit that you need to, you know, leave a bit later in the story so it's more of a reveal, that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I think writing is a really good exercise and there's a, a book called um, Bird by Bird, which is a really good book about writing uh, personal narrative. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that was – and it's written because the – author's brother when he was in high school had to do an assignment on birds and left it all to the last minute and the night before their dad was like don't worry let, we'll just do it and the son was like how are we going to do it and he's like we're just going to do it bird by bird and I think that's the best way you just mm. got to do it there's no easier way you just got to mm. sit there start plan, like plan out what you do it just start and you'll get there in the end eventually but it's just I, I, I really like sitting down and write I used to write for a newspaper and do a column like once a week and I did that for like two and a half years and it was actually really nice like every week I'd go oh, what am I going to write about and every week you'd find something to write about mm. but it was nice sitting down there and going all right this is my thoughts on this topic mm. or this is a story from my life that I feel is interesting to share. Dan is that relatable to you? Yeah it, it is. It uh, is? Yeah uh, I, I, I really enjoy writing that's my that is my safe place yeah, because yeah. I get really nervous when I when I talk but can just get out a lot more on the page yeah. than, I, than I can if I'm trying to articulate myself verbally. I'm, I'm like that. <laughs> I hate like when like I've had man- ex-managers and stuff like call me up on the phone mm. and I'm like, can you just put in an email? Oh, yeah. I'd I, much rather an email yeah. than a phone call because... <laughs> so this guy here likes to call me. I'd rather just yeah. type, t- type my replies by email or text. Yeah, you know, I completely I, get that. I find yeah. I'm a lot more measured in, in email and... If I'm on the phone, I'll, I'll say yes to things mm-hmm. that I don't really want because I'm yep. people pleaser. Mm-hmm. And in, in email, yep. I can actually word it a bit yeah, nicer. Same, yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah. it's yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm completely, literally opposite to that. I was like, I can't sometimes. So I think uh, I got diagnosed with very borderline dyslexia when I was a kid, and I, yeah. my mind can't read words. It, it, it just, I just jumbled up everything. Yeah, like you give me um, anything to talk to you about, like. I'm very natural at things when when I'm talking about something, but I can't. I'm very very weird at, uh, yeah. at writing uh, writing things. But Josh, do you have something at this moment uh, that you're playing around with? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I'm planning on a new hour of stand up, and so I've uh, been doing that. And it's, what it's kind of a, about uh, not my name, but that concept of like. So I've got a bit on how weird it is that we still call countries names that they don't call themselves. So mm-hmm. Like Germany and Deutschland, Poland, Polska. Like it's yeah. a weird, it's a weird mm-hmm. that yes. like with everything else in the world we're so much like if you like say pho wrong, like the Vietnamese soup, people will want to cancel you. But this is like, oh, you're fine saying Polska. Like it's, I, I find it a mm-hmm. weird concept. And so my own name, I've never had a nickname until the last 10 years I've finally got a nickname. 
my parents divorced and my mum took back her name. And, and so the show's kind of about those stories and names and all this kind of stuff. And so that's that's kind of where I'm working this year to hopefully do it in next year's comedy festival, so mm. 2024. Wow, that's that's fascinating that you're doing doing uh, doing that. But how does someone find material? Like, where do you go to find material? So I, I, I talk about my my life a lot. I talk about my family a lot, and then also I'm you know stuff happens in the world and you kind of have ideas and I, I used to try and sell my shows as these are the best thoughts I've had all year in an hour so that's why I always say I'm, I'm way more interesting on stage than I'm off stage because these are the these are the most interesting things that's ever happened to me or these are the most interesting thoughts I've ever had mm-hmm. I've put them here off stage like yeah I'm, I'm just you're just very regular regular but on stage I've got some interesting ideas wow um do you know are you aware about Jordan Peterson I, yeah, I, I look. I don't know that world. I know I know he told everyone make their bed, which I think is a yeah. good thing. Uh, <laughs> and that whole ten rules for life. It, it, yeah. it's, it's always interesting because I read there was another podcast called The Happiness Project yeah. that I was listening to, and they had a thing which was like, and it was like if you can do the task in less than a minute, do it straight away. Mm. And I think that was really good for me. Go, oh yeah, of course. Why wouldn't I just do it straight away? Yeah. And I think when Jordan Peterson was doing that kind of stuff, when he was talking about like, oh, make your bed, uh, clean up your room. Yeah, that that's interesting. Stand or that that's going to help. Yeah. When he when he talks about gender politics and all that kind of stuff, I'm like, yeah. I don't understand why you're so angry about this. It's not affecting your life. It's affecting your life now because you're losing everything. But I just don't understand why he's. No, that's that's not why I brought him up. I brought him up because he said something that creative people are very um, neutral in their personalities they're they're very neutral they're personality fluid I'm sorry yeah they're personality fluid and you said that you were very creative and you have all these ideas on stage and you're just you a normal you yeah do you like how do you do you realize that switch or oh, do you switch it say because I was talking about this because I only recently heard the term code switching. Code switching. Which is uh, African-Americans were talking about this where they were like, you know, when they're around their, their black friends, they'll talk one way, but when they're around white friends, they're like, oh, i got to talk this. And it's this code switching, like, like this is how I can do it. And I'm like that as well because I grew up in very working class but then mm-hmm. went off to do theatre. Yes. And so you're around like a lot of like theatre people who are so different to the the country football club mm. rooms I grew up in. Mm. And so I know, okay. Mm. They, and so when people were, it's, it's really hard, especially in today's society, if people don't want to see the grey areas mm. and go, like, it, it's, and I, I'm even, like, cautious of what I'm going to say here, but it's like when people say an off-colour joke and I know the context of why they're saying it, I don't agree with the joke, but I'm, I understand mm. maybe they're saying it because they're nervous mm. and they're trying to just fill the void and yes. oh I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just saying something and yeah and then when mm-hmm. we, you wouldn't say it to the person's face but you no i wouldn't but mm-hmm. they're not i'm saying it in this context and i have a bit more empathy for that kind of stuff because it's always i find it funny every time we come to a lecture and you know they're Comics are very left-leaning and they talk about, oh, the liberals. And I'm like, well, my parents vote liberal. Like, I'm, I'm not going to, like, I love my parents. I'm not going to fucking talk about how they're all liberal voters are dumb because, mm. you know, my mum's a nice woman. Like, she just, yeah. but it's, 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 it's so weird. So I, I kind of stay out of that on stage. And uh, off stage, it's, it's, 
I, I just kind of, it goes back to trying to just be kind and trying to make sure when you leave the room, people are like, oh, God, thank God. Like that's, that's, all, that's all I'm trying to work towards. Wow. Okay. Your podcast 100% hits. Yes. Um, that was a very interesting concept for me. Oh, great. Yeah, and uh, can you can you talk quickly uh, yeah. on that? So it's these old compilations that Australia used to have called 100% Hits and it yeah. was just the best pop songs every three months put on a CD or a tape. And they were really influential in my life because growing up didn't have much money but you'd buy these compilations so you'd get the collection of songs or you'd tape them off your friends and stuff like that. And like when you were saying you saw my, mm. my cake song, yeah. this was another kind of nostalgia mm. kind of hit. And I understood from doing the cake show that people loved nostalgia mm-hmm. and they wanted to. And so I did, uh, yeah, I, I kind of floated the idea with a friend of mine to do the show with her. And then she got a job working in Breakfast Radio in uh, Ballarat, Bending? Mm. No, Dubbo. And so she she went, so I'll, I'll just do it on my own. And so uh, it was, it's, it's been great. It's been a lot of work, mm-hmm. a lot more. As, as much work for me a week mm. as the old show, but this yeah. time it's all on me. Mm-hmm. I've just got to do the research myself. And so I just got one guest and then I do uh, the research on the songs. But it's, it's been great. I mean, my, my kind of brain feels a bit broken of having so much 90s pop music in my head. But, yeah, I, I re- I'm really enjoying it. I think it's really fun and it's also just nice to like a, a show where it's just like we're going to play some songs. We'll talk about the songs. We'll talk about the the emotion that comes from from them. Does it remind you of a story from your childhood, or what were you doing in this time of year, or what? And yeah, it's it's been it's been great. Oh, okay. I've got two last questions, very quick questions for you, and then we're going to wrap this up very quickly. Um, we're very new at this, Josh, and I want you to give us us advice and yep. maybe someone who's listening advice about podcasting and how to get into it. What, what suggestions, what recommendations do you have for them? Just get into it. Yes. Don't, don't, don't uh, overthink it. Don't go, oh, I've got to do this. Mm-hmm. Just get into it, just recording it. Do it because it's fun and make sure you're consistent with it. Mm-hmm. That's the key. So if you release it every Wednesday, release it every Wednesday because mm-hmm. there's so many podcasts out there. If you get in people's rotation, they're like, all right, Wednesday's the day I listen to mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so if you're out for like a week or two, they'll go, oh, well, I've got an extra hour and a bit to, mm. I'll find something else. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. then they listen. And so I think consistency is the key. And also just being open with like what it is you you do as well. Like, and, and not so much open with criticism. I think sometimes people like to complain about the littlest things in podcasts. Like, I don't know. I, I always get people complaining about the sound quality in some of my ones. It's, oh. it's I, I don't know, like I had someone going, why aren't you doing compressing? And I'm like, oh, I don't because it's one person doing it, okay? Yeah. I'm just, yeah. And so it's a free podcast. That's that's the that's a big saying. Um, but, yeah, the main, main thing is just be very consistent with it. Uh, know what sets you apart from the other podcasts, podcasts out there. Like what, what are you adding to the podcast world because it's very saturated. Mm-hmm. And um, There's think, so much out there as well. Like how what makes yeah. you different than all the other Yeah, ones? and I think the other thing is just make sure that you realise that your relationship with your listeners is is really important. And mm-hmm. so if you're you, you're talking directly into their ears okay. and that's it's really nice that they're, they're giving up time to listen to your thoughts. So I think that's that's also important to, you know, yeah, listen listen to the listeners. Listen to the listeners, yes, absolutely. Um Josh, we have a very tiny tradition, very new tradition that we have asked the guests questions. Like we, we'll ask you to 
come up with a question for the next guest oh, and you'd have to answer the, the, the question the previous guest asked you. Okay. So which one do you want to uh, go first? I'll, want... I'll answer their question so I know the type of questions that I need to ask. Okay, so the previous guest's question was that who was the most challenging podcast guest um, that, that you had on the podcast? Oh, did they know I was coming on? Uh, yes, yeah, they had a fair bit idea. Yeah. Who, yes. who, who was it? Uh, so we've actually, so this is our fifth episode. The first two were by ourselves. Then we just had a couple of mates on. Yep. So you're actually the first comedian. Okay, so great. this is one of our workmates. All right. Who is the most difficult? Oh, yeah. Difficult in terms of, okay, here's the, here's the answer. So it's not a gossipy kind mm-hmm. of thing. Difficult. Sean McAuliffe mm-hmm. yeah. was difficult to host because he's such a good host mm-hmm. himself. And also he wanted to uh, kind of break down the podcast and uh, find out why I was doing things. And so I really had to be on my toes going, well, we're doing this because of this. And so that was difficult in terms of me professionally going, I've got to do the best job I can here. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was really hard. The other one was, um, and it wasn't her fault, that it was difficult. It was who I was dealing with to try and get her. Uh, a woman called Beth Stelling, comedian Beth Stelling. Yep. She's amazing, American mm-hmm. comedian. And we, we'd spoken face-to-face and she goes, yeah, I'd love to do it. Just hit up my um, people. And then I hit them up. No word back, no word back, no word back. I saw her a week later going, oh, yeah, sorry, that didn't. She goes, what do you mean? I didn't get, we didn't get anything. I'm like, yeah, you did. And then she was like, they didn't send it to me. I said, oh, well, it's happening oh. tomorrow. Do you want to do it? She goes, yeah, I want to do it. And so she turned up and she oh. had a great time. But it was difficult because I was like going, just, just, a quick no is better than a week long, yeah. week long like prolonged yes. Yeah. Like I just lo- yeah. So that's yeah. that's it. So okay. Who, who's the next guest? Oh, Sammy Shah. Sammy Shah. Okay. Oh. Question for Sammy Shah is, um, I want to ask him because I know he he loved that little small town he lived in, Karachi. In Karachi. Yeah, he loved that town. Uh, no. No, yeah, when, when he moved to Perth. Oh. When he moved to WA. Oh, okay. Good. Okay. No, where um, from. Yeah. Okay. Uh, ask him, are you still in contact with anyone from the small country town where you first moved to okay. Australia? That's perfect. a good one. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> Josh, I really, really, re- we really appreciate yeah. you coming here. It it's means, been joy. It means Thank a you. lot to us. It means a lot to us. And... Uh, we Especially you. because you have no idea who we are and you've agreed to do <laughs> well, this. Well, I've met and you before. I had a yeah, photo with I've, you and Adam Richards. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. And uh, I just want to, again, want to thank you. So, uh, thank you. And um, want to wish you all the best in your future. Thank and, you. Uh, Welcome to the podcasting world. world thank yes. you. Uh, don't get don't get too big and never have me back. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very it's very. I'm, I'm, I, we get very nervous because we're new at it, uh, and uh, we don't have any background at this and I was like let's get into it I got the creative side all this camera yeah, this stuff is good. and uh, Dan is very uh, he's, he's got his connections and he knows people as like I think we'll be a great team I was like let's get let's get this done and uh, we'll see how we go right and uh, we, we hope to have you back um, yeah and uh, I'll be back yeah all right, great. let's wrap this up awesome, awesome. bye everybody thanks thanks <laughs>